Support for the Woj Pod comes from Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your very own professional website, choose a template you love, and customize it by adding your own text, images, and videos. With hundreds of intuitive design features, you can tell your story exactly the way you want. Want even more for your website? You can easily start a blog, launch an online store, or create an event. Share everything in a click on social media and drive even more traffic to your site with SEO tools to get found on Google. Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website you want. You can even create a beautiful website while listening to this very podcast. Over 140 million people choose Wix to create their website, so create yours today. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash Woj, W-O-J, to get 10% off. Hey, everyone. Welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod here in Philly with ESPN's Dave McMenamin on this wild Sixers Raptors series, the Eastern Conference playoffs, and Dave's day job covering the Lakers. What a Ty Lue, LeBron James reunion may look like in L.A. Stay with us. Here in Philly with David Meneman, ESPN's NBA reporter, in the aftermath of Kawhi Leonard saving everyone's ass in <laughs> Toronto, saving a lot, right? 2-2 back to Toronto and... uh what a performance, Dave. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to point to that one shot he made with just under two minutes to go. Step back three over Joel Embiid. I mean, that's just a high-level NBA shot. But it was what he did throughout the entire game to get them to that point where Toronto, for the first time since game one, controlled the pace of action, controlled everything in, in terms of, of, you know, we are going to play our will on you. And... um a 2-2 series is far different than a 3-1 series. 3-1 series, we talk about the debacle that could be Game 5 in Toronto, and now we talk about, yeah. oh, the Raptors could have life and get to the finals. Yeah, and now all this pressure goes back to Philly. Joel Embiid didn't play well. He wasn't feeling well, he says. And Ben Simmons trying to figure out his role a little bit here and how Brett Brown's using him. And, you know, Tobias Harris missing a bunch of open shots. Yes, he did. And all of a sudden, pressure swings back to them, and... You know, I saw Masai Ujiri and Larry Tannenbaum, the owner, in Toronto in the hallway and the big size of relief. And now thinking about a game five there with their crowd and, and that place being jacked up. But, we, but when you see Kawhi playing at the level, especially in this series, and he's played at a high level all year, but what he's done in this series and certainly carried them in their two wins, I mean, who do you take in the league over him when he's playing like this? I know the guy in Golden State. I know mm-hmm. Kevin Durant. And I'm not sure I'm taking anybody over him mm-hmm. right now. But I don't know after him who you take before Kawhi Leonard right now. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, I, because of this year's MVP race, you mentioned Harden, you mentioned Giannis, because of they have the ability to mm-hmm. impact games in, in such a special way. But Kawhi plays with such command, mm-hmm. and nobody's speeding him up, yep. and nobody's making him go somewhere on the court he doesn't want to be. Mm-hmm. And you know, some people could criticize his playmaking as as one thing that needs some development. But if you're shooting sixty. Five percent from the field. Yeah. That's the best efficient offense you can have. There doesn't need to be playmaking. Yeah, it's Toronto Philly series, and there, there's so much at stake, and you feel it around both organizations of what it's all going to look like when it shakes out, and what Toronto is going to look like 
with Kawhi's free agency, Philadelphia with Tobias Harris, Jimmy Butler. How's that going to work? Are they going to pay both? Do they have to make a decision there? Tobias Harris is almost five years younger than Jimmy Butler. They gave up essentially three first-round picks for him, if you want to call Landry Shaman a first-round pick, right? Kind of a steal at 22, wherever he went last year's draft. He's he's outstanding. And so sometimes these things answer themselves in the postseason. And But the pressure on both these organizations right now to advance is remarkable. And, and what's amazing, too, is you look at the four teams in the East right now, and to me, you could make a case at this moment, even where, they, where any one of the four are in their series, you could make a pretty compelling case that that's the one that's going to get to the NBA Finals. Absolutely. And this is the razor edge that everyone's living on because if Philly – if Bede isn't taking IVs at 6 in the morning before yeah. game four, it just has a little bit extra to give. You could be saying this series is headed in a different direction. But, yeah. but now we swing back on the pendulum. And then in Boston – you know, uh, Kyrie Irving points to the free throws that Antetokounmpo got in Game Three as being the difference maker. Twenty-two free throws, and maybe that will be the difference maker in in Boston potentially making a Finals run or fizzling out early and potentially losing Kawhi Leonard. I mean, excuse me, potentially losing Kyrie Irving. I mean, this is the stakes are are so big for every team involved. Even for a team like Milwaukee, you'd say most of the guys are locked up, but. You know, you always look down the line to see whenever that contract's up for Giannis as well. Right. And it's a couple years away. And if they don't advance, that drumbeat will start until he's committed. And I think Milwaukee will feel good about Giannis if they're playing well, if it's a great group around them. One thing about Giannis is he's, he's very loyal and he's loyal to the people around him. He's loyal. His circle's pretty small in his world. But anytime you have a player of his caliber, that pressure never leaves the organization. You're always having to sell him on what you're doing, how you're doing it, because, you know, if we think teams are ready to move heaven and earth for Kevin Durant, for Kawhi, this great free agent class, Giannis, who would go into free agency as a younger player without any health concerns, and I don't know that there's health concerns with Kawhi right now. You don't sure. you look at him and, you know, fantastic. they managed that really well in the regular season in Toronto. They allowed Kawhi to do it at his pace, how he'd like to do it, and and I know that's been a real positive, how they allowed him to come back from that quad injury and and sort of, you know, reflect the fact that he only played nine games last season. And that's where great. Now you see him playing a lot of minutes in the postseason, playing at a very high level. And this was their plan all along. But, you know, it took every one of those 39 points and, as you said, like just how efficient it was to get out of here, steal this game four. Yeah, and listen, I mean, you – might not see the traditional leadership qualities out of him that we've been accustomed to seeing out of NBA superstars. You want to see the grit or, you know, playing to the crowd or all these things, the the pageantry, if you will. Mm-hmm. He might not bring that, but guess what? I imagine if you talk to all the guys in that locker room, do they feel confident going into a, a must-win game with Kawhi Leonard as their teammate? They have to because they just know he's going to, to, going to perform. And he's done it on the highest level with the Spurs. He's been to two finals there as a finals MVP and and nearly won another title there. But you feel it, and they do. Like, there doesn't have to be a lot of volume out of you to lead. You feel it in the arena. You feel it around the court when he is in a big moment that he is unmoved by it. And for Toronto, listen, that's why they brought him in there. And you, you look at the star power in the East right now in these playoffs of certainly Embiid and Philly and, of course, 
Kawhi in Toronto and Kyrie in Boston and Giannis in Milwaukee. And like this pendulum has swung from west to east because you don't have in the west outside of, I think Dallas will start to see it with Porzingis and, and Luka Doncic in Dallas, but you don't have the kind of young talent that the East has. The West, it's in veterans. They're getting on the other side of 30 years old. And and that's why people always say, like, when is it ever going to swing? Well, it's starting to, especially if Golden State breaks up and they're not what they've been. Now, all of a sudden, like, the power – and listen, it may we may see it in these finals. Uh, we may see a team ready to challenge the West in these finals. Right. And do you also look at the wave of – Potentially some franchise-changing talent coming in for the draft this year. The top three picks are all considered to be upper echelon NBA talent, and, and the teams that are, have the best lottery odds of getting them, obviously Phoenix is included. But you talk about you know Atlanta and New York. I mean, that's more Eastern Conference talent being at it. Cleveland too. You're a Philly guy. You grew up here. You know the Sixer fan, and you can feel it around this town how hungry these fans are to have a team. That advances. You had this ownership group that thinks they're ready to win now. It's why they gave up a lot in that Tobias Harris trade. And there's a lot of pressure on Brett Brown to advance, certainly out of this series. But, you know, it's funny. Listen, you said it. Joel was sick and he's getting IV and he told Brett Brown earlier in the day, wasn't sure he could play. And you, you saw him run out of gas late and turnovers and certainly wasn't himself. But it's funny how with this Philly team, how quickly it went from this progression of get into the playoffs, win around, lose, you know, and usually in history, you, then you go a little further. They really wanted to speed it up, and they did with the deals they made this year. And if it doesn't work out with this core, if this core doesn't fit together, they have really gassed their assets, a team that had endless assets. Right. You know, they did it in the Markel Fultz trade, which cost them a number one overall pick that you have nothing to show for. And now giving up two future firsts, Landry Shamit, and all of a sudden, like, this has become such a win-now team that may have made some decisions that they could regret by the time we get out of free agency this summer. If they resign everybody at big numbers, or if they lose one of the two free agents and look around and go, was this what we imagined when we did these deals? And so you wonder about the motivation to throw this thing into warp speed was it that it was a mirage of a winning streak at the end of last season where they won 16 in a row and all of a sudden you consider this team in a different light perhaps prematurely because you know the way the nba works today and we see it with you know the way toronto managed Kawhi, a lot of teams are not taking the last month of the regular season all that serious in terms of winning they're prioritizing health and so if you're a young team just trying to snipe off some wins you know, that could be a little bit of fool's gold to what they did last year. And then I think the the other question is Embiid. Do they have faith that Embiid's body will be able to hold up in terms of them having a longer championship window? And, and right now, I mean, it would have to be so frustrating to be teammates with him because – or tantalizing, I guess is a better word, because he was the best player on the court mm-hmm. in game three. And tonight, not able to get it done and listen – he wasn't available really today. Game two, he had gastroenteritis. I mean, these things can happen, but game three, the Brooklyn series, he sat out because of the knee. 14 of the Sixers, 24 games after the uh, all-star break, he sat out to manage his body. Mm-hmm. And it's an old cliche, but the best avail- avail- the best ability is availability. Right. And he doesn't provide that right now. Yeah. And I think, 
his conditioning certainly took a hit, and he's probably heavier right now than anyone would like him to be. And you do worry about with a history of lower leg problems when you're carrying that extra weight and you're not in the shape that you could be in because he's not practicing, he's not getting, you know, there's a stretch there where they've he's got to stay off his feet when they're not playing. You worry about injury. You worry about re-aggravation because you're going to push yourself at this time of year. And there's a sense of holding your breath a little bit around Joel right now as they kind of move through this postseason. And listen, I love his kind of boyish charm and his energy that he brings. But Charles Barkley made a great point earlier in the series, early in the playoffs. He said, hey, like when I was carrying weight, I went. And, and dealing with injuries, I went into a pool. I swam. And it, it's a good thing you could do. Yeah. And Joel just shut it down. He said, I can't swim. Well, I understand if you can't swim. But you could try to do some <laughs> sort of glean some, you know, wisdom from yeah, Charles in yeah. that moment. But he just shut it down. And then you know, I'm working on a story. It's going to be on ESPN.com this week. You know, they have their training tables out on the court pregame. The only team yeah. in the league that does that. Uh, team source told me it's all for Joel because – it keeps him motivated and activated being out there with the energy of the arena and the cheerleaders and the music and all that stuff, <laughs> yeah. which is great. It's great, but it's also in a way it's kind of babysitting. And so, you know, he's this big kid yeah. and, and you love him for it, but you're also like, man, if you could just take it a little more serious because there's jobs at stake here. Yeah. Well, when he's right and he's playing at his best, he's a top five talent in this league. I mean, I remember the first time I saw him. He had come out of Kansas, and he was working out in Santa Monica. He was with his representation, his agency. He was in the gym in Santa Monica, the little Catholic school there where you could walk in and at any given day, this little gym mm-hmm. and right off the beach, and you could walk in any given day in the past. You'd see Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook. you know, Derek Rose. Derek Rose, just you know, running it. And it was an empty gym, and I think I was there with one of his guys, and he was just playing alone on the court and he was lean and he was in great shape and you were watching him behind the three point line and around the, and it's like, wow. And it, at that time it was no question he was number one overall pick and then had that injury and then there was questions and he drops and Sam Hinkie takes him. But he is, um, you know, in a league where the center position in a lot of ways has been devalued in recent years, you know, his ability to do it everywhere on the court is remarkable and this city It'll just be interesting in this city of how five years from now, six years from now, seven years from now, what does he look like? What is his body like? Speaks to some of the trying to win right now with this group, but he's as compelling of a figure in a lot of ways as there is in this league right now. Yeah, and and you you think about Elton Brand's seen a lot, you know, in his time that he once played for a Clippers team that was considered on the verge, and of course they never really put it all together. To have the, I guess, confidence of ownership to be able to go for it, it's got to be freeing and it's got to be exciting. At the same time, he has to know that there's been so many teams that we've seen that you, know, you think they got a shot on paper and then, you know, it takes that little extra special sauce, whether that be the coaching, whether that be the camaraderie. You know, this is a team in the second round of the playoffs, Jimmy Butler's saying, I think chemistry is overrated. It's about the talent you have on the court. Hey, listen, I love the put up or shut up mentality. I mean, it is a results oriented business, but I've also, chemistry does matter. I think just about anyone who's been in this league for a long time will tell you it does. Actually, Brett Brown kind of pushed back against it mildly, very politically, but he said, you know, I was, we had some great culture and chemistry in San Antonio was a big part of what we did. And so can you, microwave that aspect of it and i'm not so sure you can brett brown's gonna be in a situation like tonight or you know moving down in this series where 
it's going to be, he has to look everyone in the eye and like know what type of person they are, like what makes them tick and it takes time to get to know your guys that way. Yeah. I'm not sure that even within the Sixers, there's been enough. This is not an easy group to coach for lots of reasons. And listen, it is a lot of talent and they did bring in a starting five that rivals anybody's. And you look at Toronto's after the Gasol trade and, and you look at the immense growth Pascal Siakam made this year, mm-hmm. and you start looking at their starting five, and you say by the end of the year, like that thing is shoulder to shoulder with Philly. It, but Brett having to deal with the expectations here and the personalities and the, as you said, the availability of guys, and then I think there was a sense, a pretty strong sense that Brett needed to win. He needs to get in the conference finals, and if he doesn't, there's going to be some evaluation there about how to go forward. Although. You always say in this league, like, okay, who are you getting to coach this team? And Brett Brown's a heck of a coach. And, and you know, it's funny. You get better as a coach by coaching, right? The more games you coach, if you're smart, if you work hard at it, Brett's smart. He works hard at it. You get better, and you get better as a playoff coach. There's no other way to improve. It's like anything else. Mm-hmm. And like Billy Donovan in Oklahoma City or Brad Stevens in Boston, guys who come from college and learn the NBA – you get better at it by doing it. It's a different game. You learn it. And again, if you work hard at it and you're smart, sometimes people don't give enough allowance to that fact and to say, grow with a guy. Let him get better as your team's learning. Instead of thinking there's some solution out there, there's some quick fix. Cause like you go through these coaching searches and I talk to owners and GMs and team presidents and they're going through these. And a lot of these guys are really racking their brains about there are not many sure things out there available for coaches for organizations. And to me, like with Philly, especially like be careful what you wish for, because Brett Brown's a really good coach and like allow for him to grow with this team. But two, two going back to Toronto, there's, there's a lot of pressure on him. Absolutely. And you look at the Philadelphia franchise's history, another coach Brown, Larry Brown, difficult superstar, Allen Iverson. And there were times when that thing could have blown up. Now, ultimately they didn't win a championship. That would have been the, the real goal there, but you know, the, one of the greatest seasons in Sixers history was their partnership in 2001. And that only was allowed to happen because there was some patience within the franchise for it to get to that point. Look, if you own a business, hiring is challenging. But there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash Woj. ZipRecruiter makes everything about the hiring process easy. They send your job to over a 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can get ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Woj. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash W-O-J. One more time so you don't forget, ZipRecruiter.com slash Woj. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Toronto now, Dave, going home and... I thought Nick Nurse in game four, playing Ibaka and Gasol together, went bigger with those two. That's not 
as Philly went big, they went big at them. And then, you know, listen, there was for that organization, there's a lot on the line with Kawhi. And my sense has been, and I certainly felt this since the day they traded for him, you know, Paul George, you were around Paul George. You could be around him a week, two weeks after the trade in Oklahoma City, and you felt like they got a great chance to keep him. Paul's going to let you know how he feels, mm-hmm. and you could tell he was a little frustrated with the Lakers at that time that they didn't go the distance it took to get a deal with Indiana. Oklahoma City certainly took a risk by making that trade. You know, when Oklahoma City traded for Paul George, the Thunder could have done the same exact deal with Toronto at that time for DeMar DeRozan. They could have done Sabonis and Oladipo for DeRozan and in some ways, it would have been safer because he was under contract. Right. They felt Paul George was the better player, and they said, let's roll the dice. We're going to convince him to stay. But Kawhi Leonard just felt all along it was going to take the full year to sell him on Toronto. It wasn't going to be done in training camp or by Christmas or by the trade deadline. But I do think they've made progress with him. I think they've made pretty good progress with him by all the sense I have. And they've put themselves in it. And when Kawhi showed up there, I'm not sure he imagined any future in Toronto. I do think it's a serious consideration now. And certainly the winning and the development of Siakam, I think he's built a good relationship with Kyle Lowry. Neither one's easy to get close to. Like two guys who don't let a lot of people in and then you put them together, right? And so, and then Nick Nurse has grown this year as he's gone. He, and so I think the Kawhi thing is getting really interesting there and, for them to just get through this series and get to a conference final every day is the case you're making. And, oh, by the way, we can pay you more than anybody else. And if you want to be in L.A. and you want to live there in the off season, like there's only so many days you really have to be in Toronto in the snow. You can get out of here. You're on the road half the time, and the rest of the year you can get out of here and go to L.A. and be in California. But Toronto's selling winning on him, and I think that's – they can't sell geography to him, I don't think. I don't think they can sell weather to him. There's nothing they can do about that, but when you have that kind of organization, you sell winning, and again, chance to make the most money, and boy, today was, for them, for him, was monumental to sort of keep that thing moving toward, you know, the possibility of staying. And you sell the respect you have for him managing his body the way he deems fit. I mean, the way they had him have these load management games throughout the regular season to get himself prepared where he would want to be entering into the postseason is remarkable now that we're in it because we say he's averaging like 40 points a game in the conference semifinals. And they let him do it the way he wanted to do it this year. They did. They gave him all the freedom. And Alex McKechnie, who's works with him and his body, he's one of the best in the, in maybe not just the NBA, but in pro sports, that relationship has been important. And they did their research before they traded for him. They knew what would be important. And I don't know in the end that even if Kawhi Leonard left, I think we all agree they weren't good enough to win the way they were. And they could have just kept going. They would have stayed around a 50-win team. But even if he walks out the door, now you have – let's say he walks out the door in Toronto and you have this younger core of of Siakam and you have OG Ananobi who we don't talk about. Like right. he's – he may not return this That's season. Yeah, right. I mean it's – they miss him. He's a 20-minute-a-game guy with another wing that they could be throwing out there who is versatile and he's going to be a really good player in the league. And you have a pretty good jump start on – something of a rebuild, and now you have, you know, Abaka and Kyle Lowry going into their last year. Gasol can opt in to a year, and so you figure out what you do with all that. But I don't think you can look at that trade and say, ah, they, if they just kept DeMar, they were on their way to it. But they probably weren't going to be quite good enough. And I, like, in every way, you look at them now, you go, they got a chance to win it all. 
and they got through the year the way they hoped they would with him intact, physically strong. And I, I don't think that organization has one reg- should have one regret about doing the deal. Because you don't win championships in this league outside of a very rare example like the 2004 Pistons without having a top 10 player on your roster. And so as good as DeMar DeRozan is as a top 25 player, if you make a deal to get a top 10 player, if not a top 3 player in Kawhi Leonard, you have to do it. You just have to. And I think that's – we've seen the example with – OKC getting, you know, fortune favors the brave in terms of Paul George re-upping because he saw that they were willing to go out and put their chips in the middle of the table because they believed in him. And again, we'll see how it goes with Kawhi, but you'd have to look at them and be impressed with the way they've handled their pursuit of him and rolling out the red carpet since he's been there. So you come east to cover this series. Your day job is the Lakers, of course. And it's everybody's day job at ESPN, day and night job. <laughs> That's true, right? Uh, I'm paying just a little bit more attention to Jimmy Butler and Kawhi Leonard this series. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you and the Lakers. <laughs> Ty Lu, you know, we reported, obviously, Monty Williams has gone to Phoenix, and Ty is moving toward, barring some unforeseen breakdown here, I believe he's going to be the next Laker coach. You know, I think the one thing that's unfair to Ty Lu, and I think there's a perception that Somehow Ty is just somehow like LeBron's lackey, right? He's just there to carry the water for LeBron, and it is not how he coaches him. And I think you covered them in Cleveland. You were there day in and day out, and I think that perception now, while LeBron I do know would prefer him as head coach, I know this, like he didn't tell the Lakers you have to do it because they were ready to move toward Monty Williams, and I think the Lakers were – Never really took seriously the possibility he was going to take that son's job, and he did. And I think it I know it surprised them. But listen, you're splitting hairs when you're comparing candidates. You can you can feel more than one guy's qualified to be your head coach. But the way he coaches him, Dave, what did you see about day in and day out about the way Ty will challenge LeBron and will stand up to him? And I think maybe earned LeBron's respect in that way along the way in Cleveland. It just LeBron doesn't live in a world where he has so many people telling him no. And so that creates a dynamic that's difficult for any coach to tackle. But Ty Lue is, is just so authentic as a person where he remains the same on an off day in the summer as he does in the fourth quarter of a pressure cooker in the playoffs. And that is someone who, you know, we've seen it in the videotape on YouTube. LeBron may get hot and yell at him and he'll yell right back. And right. it's not like I'm so worried about th- overthinking this and how's this going to play out in the media. And it's like, no, like be a man, I'll be a man. And we're both going to have the respect to move on from this and realize that it's such a small blip in what the totality of what our relationship is. Yeah. And to yeah. me, like Ty just understood like, covering LeBron. <laughs> it is a day in day out job night. <laughs> night in, night out job sometimes. And you have to know what matters and what doesn't. And I think that's a big thing where he can internalize and understand LeBron's body language and when to mess with him and when not to. And then because he has this wealth of data from being around him, he can explain it to the younger guys in the locker room and tell them the same thing, what matters, what doesn't. Because that's one thing outside of the other parts of the roster construction where the uh, the Lakers could have done better last year. 
Yeah, they could have gotten a guy like Kendrick Perkins or Richard Jefferson who had experience with LeBron to be that 15th man. And I understand, you know, they had that roster spot, you know, filled at first and they were trying to add someone for the playoff run, which never happened. But that person could have been a translator all year long. And, and that, that was lacking, um, for the mix that they had last year. Yeah. And I think Ty coming now back with him in LA and what that means for this roster, this team, the organization, like they've got, I know there's people talk about, well, what will it mean in free agency to have him in? And I, listen, I don't think generally a lot of players, when they look at what's important to them in free agency, unless it's a Greg Popovich or go down the list of, you know, I think Brad Stevens helped with Gordon Hayward in free agency. Well, it was his college coach. He had this relationship, but it was also Boston that appealed to him in a big market. And, and part of it was going east because he wanted to be an all-star. And it was hard to be an all-star in the West at that time. Now it's hard in the East, too. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that Ty Lu makes – and I don't know that Monty Williams would have. I don't know that the coach in almost any scenario really impacts free agency because the coach is disposable. You can always get a new coach. If you don't like – if you're a star you don't like the coach, you can get a new one. And so – you know, I know everyone's talking about, well, what will it mean in July 1? I, I don't think it means really anything. I'm with you, and because also most of the high-level players who have smart people advising them are, are telling them the same thing. Like, the, the coach could be removed. They're picking organizations. Yeah, what that matters to them is ownership, yep. management, and players are savvy. The agents are savvy. And the agent knows if I put my guy in a place and – it's screwed up and it stays screwed up. I'm going to hear it from him. He's going to blame me like, hey, you didn't prepare me for this. And so what all these agents are doing right now is they're making – they've got presentations on the teams and they're going through the management. They're going through the ownership. They're going through their track record and it's showing it. And if the players don't fully understand what it means to be with this owner or how this guy is operated or how Jeannie Buss is operated – the players are going to know it when they go into it, and and I think most of them do anyway. I think they're all really smart about it. You know, yeah, I think the coach has less impact. Now, again, when it's a pop or July one, when Doc Rivers comes in, Doc, you know, coming off the kind of season they had, it's yeah, it's a benefit, it's a positive. But what they need to start having in LA is a program. They can want to flip these young guys for a big star veteran. I don't know if it's happening, and like even take Anthony Davis out of it, or if they want to go get a Bradley Beal. I don't know that what the Lakers have is going to dictate somebody taking their core from them with a pick or two and giving them a, a high-level star. Most of those guys don't become available in trades anyway. I think it would have been a slightly different conversation if you were going to canvas around the league in, in February. But now as we have the conversation in early May and then when it ultimately will be had in July. You know, Brandon Ingram's health status is a major variable here that didn't exist back mm-hmm. when they were right. originally trying to pursue Anthony Davidson. You know, I've, I've spoken to people within the Pelicans organization and they admitted that that package was, was pretty attractive, but they also admitted that it looks a lot different now when considering mm-hmm. Ingram than it did back then. Yeah. Having covered Ty day in and day out and you see, what he does well as a coach. What do you think, Laker fans, what are the staples that you say, hey, you can count on this with him? Well, I mean, after timeout plays, he's fantastic. I mean, they had some of the most efficient offense in their 
three finals runs with him as a head coach in the playoffs after timeout. And really, too, Doc Rivers has always been renowned as one of the best in the league there. And I think some of that comes from ha- having served an apprenticeship under Doc. I think he took Absolutely. some of that with him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I wrote this in a story a couple of years ago. He spent the summer in Playa Vista, California, living with Ryan West, who works in the Lakers front office. They became fast friends when he was drafted by Jerry West to the Lakers back in the, the late 90s. And uh, Ryan would find Ty in the spare bedroom wherever he was staying. And he had a whiteboard set up, and he was running through plays in the offseason, like just trying to build up his kind of Bible that he can go off as a coach. Beyond that, I mean, it, it's he's a relationship guy. Uh, J.R. Smith described him to me once as everybody's uncle. And you see that you see him, you know, crack an irreverent joke. You see him, uh, you know, be willing to give guys a little bit of guff, but also pat them on the back when they do a good job. Uh, and certainly, he's someone who he's so built for the playoffs. Like I've have been in contact with him throughout these playoffs, and he's the first time he's been out of the NBA in a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of killing him to not be there, not being in in the foxhole and doing game prep and mm-hmm. doing everything he can to figure out the way to, to tackle a team. And, you know, LeBron was so good last year's playoffs. He deserves all the credit for what he did to drag that team to the, to the finals. But they're not beating Boston if Ty's not almost completely changing their offense in the middle of that series and defense. Uh, and then getting – LeBron and company to buy in to the changes. Um, these are the type of things it, that he did kind of under the radar. Yeah, history has shown you it is hard to get credit as LeBron James's coach, right? If you win, it's because of LeBron. If you don't win, you weren't good enough. And that's part of the teammates. That's part of where there's some struggle in getting guys in free agency that they've seen a thing where as a player, as a teammate, Kevin Love's an example of it. Or, you know, there's others where if you win with LeBron, he gets all the credit. If you lose, well, you guys weren't good enough to support him. Now, that may be different as he moves into his mid-30s. And, you know, I think the thought would be if you got an Anthony Davis, does LeBron eventually play a little more of a complementary role? Although LeBron was hurt this year. And if he comes back healthy and he's himself, he'd be right back, first-team All-NBA. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but probably at some point here, like, he'll be a second-team All-NBA player. And I don't know, is that at 36, 37, 38? 42 at Tom Brady. I don't know when he's not. But I do think that the coaches are casualties to that. Like, I don't think Eric Spolstra ever got the credit in. I mean, Eric Spolstra in Miami really got LeBron to look at the game a little differently. He became a much better defensive player down there. You know, he finally was, he wanted to play more around the rim, use his, I think he became a more efficient, all the things that he went to Miami looking for. He wanted, they were all elements that he wanted from that program. And I think he got them all in. But, yeah, I think Ty pays that price of, for whatever reason, I mean, three straight trips to the finals, a championship that will go down as one of the great upsets in modern NBA history. I don't know. And yet, with Ty, I still think they see it. Some people see it as he just rode, completely rode his coattails. Like, you can't win a championship by accident as a coach. Like, you can't. It's too hard. And especially being that Golden State team. And even when they had the injuries two years before that, right? When David Blatt was the head mm-hmm. coach in the finals, they still took two games off of that Golden State team when Kyrie went down and then Love was... Kevin was already out. Kevin was already shoulder. out. And Delhi spent a night in the hospital. <laughs> right, right. And it was a lot of 
Ty's defensive coverages and their pick and roll defense. He did some things in that series that I guess David Blatt would probably look and say, "Well, I didn't get. I'm the head coach and I didn't get credit. I guess nobody gets enough credit." But, but yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see now how this is not LeBron and his group in the East and a weaker East. This is you're in the West and you know getting. We'll see what the roster looks like next year. But you know if they're healthy, listen, they were healthy this year. They were the fourth seed in the West before LeBron went down and. Some of the younger guys are playing better, and injuries took their toll. But once this thing gets done with Ty, we'll we'll see what it all looks like next year and how how he's viewed. Yeah, and one thing you got to know about him, uh, James Jones told me this back in the day. You know, he's married to basketball, no wife, no kids, never never been married, and all he wants to do is kind of continue to validate the door that's been open for him a long time ago by maximizing his time in this game and he takes it very seriously um and i know sometimes he doesn't do himself favors uh you know he's can be great off camera and and kind of seem disinterested on camera and that's how a lot of fans develop their perception of someone Uh, but he he's and also like there's sometimes he just looks bewildered when he's on the sideline but that's just happens to be his like resting face right right that doesn't that creates a perception about him that that's not accurate. Uh, but, you know, he's someone that, you know, sometimes after a game, two, three in the morning, he'll be, we'll be in contact breaking down what, yeah. what we saw. He, yeah. he really cares. His coaching staff will be interesting here. You know, he wanted to get Tom Thibodeau on his staff. You know, whenever you're going for a job, one of the things you can sell in the interview process is, hey, here, and teams want to know, who are you thinking about bringing in? And sometimes you want to have an assistant or two in your back pocket to say, I have this guy committed if I can get the job. He loved the idea of getting Tom Thibodeau. Tom loves LA. He likes spending time out there and he, but I'm told that's probably or almost certainly not going to happen that, that Tom's going to continue to try to work toward coming back as a head coach. He's owed a ton of money yeah, in Minnesota. For a couple more years. Yeah. Yeah. You, salary, yeah. Right? There's always yeah. like an offset yeah, yeah, to get right. back, but, but I don't right. think that's going to happen. And that certainly would have, uh, you know, that, that was something to sell in the interview process. I do know in the interview process, when he sat down with Jeannie Buss, and he, he certainly struck the right chords with her, I'm told, listen, Jeannie Buss, for better or worse, it means something to her to hire people in high-profile jobs that have a connection to the Lakers, who love the Lakers, um, like her father did. And they've always tried to keep it in the family where they could. I mean, that's why Magic was president. That's why, you know, they've hired ex-Lakers all over the place. And I know Ty really made a case for how much the Lakers mean to him, what it meant as a player to win a championship there, to play there, and now the chance to come back as the head coach and really struck that chord with her. And Ty has not, I think at any point in this process, made it clear, I want to be the coach of the Lakers. And I, it means a lot. I want to coach there. I don't think Monty Williams, I think Monty Williams came in a little more circumspect. He wanted to understand with Phoenix and the Lakers, he wanted answers about – he wasn't caught up in – the Lakers are the Lakers, and that's appealing to anybody in the league. It's been a standard, and it's, it's, it's a high-profile job as you can have. But none of that means anything if you don't have an ownership management structure in place that allows you to have success. And there are a lot of questions about it, and there are a lot of people involved in upper management now, from Jeannie Buss to the Rambuses, Kurt and Linda, to obviously Rob Palenka, the GM – Tim Harris on the business side was in these interviews and you're trying to figure out like where the power is, where the influence is, who's really making decisions. 
Magic's out, but he's still talking to people, and he's out, but he's not out. to dinner with Jeannie for the world to see you. They they wanted everybody to see they were out to dinner together. And I think Monty looked at it just a little more – I'm going to take the name Lakers off and say, what do I see here? And for all the issues in Phoenix with Robert Sarver, and they are many, they're not going away just because he says, I'm going to be different this time. And I guarantee you when they have a press conference, Sarver's going to come out and say, I made mistakes – I really have not acted right in this job at all times or many times we, you know, like Kevin Arnovitz's story illustrated a lot of it. And for every amazing anecdote is Kevin had in that story. There's a hundred that you mm-hmm. haven't written about because you can't write them all. They're crazy. But Monty Williams saw a front office with James Jones at GM, who's still very inexperienced. There was some history there. James was on the Portland Trailblazers team when Monty was an assistant Jeff Bauer, who's was just hired into their front office after having been the GM in Detroit. He's in like a v- VP of basketball role. He hired Monty as head in coach New in New Orleans. He had more confidence in those two in that structure than he did with Rob Palenka and whatever it's going to be in L.A. Now they told – I know they told all the candidates who interviewed, Rob's the GM, Rob's going to be in charge. That's your going to answer to. We're not bringing anybody in over him, which is always subject to change until they do, right? And so I do think that for all that, Ty was still the guy who came in and said, I want the job. And, none of, why would that intimidate him? Because he already dealt with LeBron James and Dan Gilbert, who had an, an icy relationship at times. He dealt with, uh, you know, David Griffin going through a lame duck season and then him having a new general manager in Cleveland. Like there was, for lack of a better term, there was a circus like atmosphere the entire run. He was there in Cleveland. David Blatt, the guy who hired him, you know, goes to the finals and is number one in the East and, and loses his job. But he just kept forward and he focused on what matters. And he recognizes that he may have a little bit of a roadmap of how to push the right buttons on LeBron. And to me, I think that's kind of all he needs, right? Like so He's pretty simple. You, you need somebody in that Lake organization right now that can talk to LeBron. I don't know. You saw LeBron's comments, his first public comments on his HBO show about, you know, pretty frustrated with how Magic Johnson handled that, to say the least, right? And and I think we knew that. He, he said it publicly. I think he certainly knew that since privately. And, okay, who with the Lakers can go in and command his respect? Magic was able to do that, at least initially there. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if Rob Palenka can do that. I don't know if Jeannie Buss can do that. I think they had to get used to having LeBron in their organization. And, you know, he's got to get used to them. And I think having Ty, somebody who... You gotta have somebody who can be able to talk to him. And I, and I'm not sure where else that exists with the Lakers. Now I know, I don't know, somebody said something and LeBron was on his Instagram saying, Hey, I'm in the facility. I'm fine. I'm working out, which that's fine. You, where else you get, I mean, you should be in the, like you're in the facility working out. It makes sense. But there's also the real world and the real world is they've got a coach in who can talk to him and work through the issues that always come up with the big star in organizations. And I think that's, that is a plus for the Lakers. Yeah, institutional knowledge is just, it's a valuable thing. It's something you can't necessarily quantify. And, and that's what he brings to the equation. And listen, I mean, the only other candidates you'd say would be, okay, far and above better. Okay. Mike Krzyzewski or Greg Popovich or something like that. You know, that, that would, you're going to spend a ton of money to get him and they're going to get his attention if you do Pop's it. Like, <laughs> like Pop's going to Lakers. I don't think you have to worry about that. I have a little theory about Pop. I think Pop 
and LeBron have both kind of have a tacit agreement where they both praise each other as the best of their generation, but they don't want any part of each other because <laughs> they know they would both be able, not well, be able to live through it well, every day. Hey, they'll they'll be together in right. uh, for the Olympics. In, in, for the Olympics, yeah. and they were together. It's funny you think about those two, the Larry Brown Athens debacle, right when. LeBron, Carmelo, Dwayne Wade were all, what, like 19 on that team, and he did not want to play those guys. You can still see the U.S. getting taken apart by Puerto Rico with Stephen Marbury and Allen Iverson. Richard Jefferson was That's at the right. three in that right. game. And I remember <laughs> Puerto Rico had Rick Apodaca was the point guard at Hofstra. He was from, like, <laughs> nice I was point. working at the Bergen Record yeah. then, and he was, like, he was from North Jersey, and so he was like a local Right, he was like a local kid who was averaging like 15 points at Hofstra, yeah. and he absolutely took apart Iverson and Marbury in that game. They blew out the U.S. by 20. And I remember my lasting image of that game. I think was Pop kind of gra- Larry Brown was going after the officials, and I think Pop grabbing Larry Brown, pulling him off of the court. And the fact that Pop was around that team and it was such a toxic Larry Brown, just alien. You know, he yeah. shockingly Larry was difficult, but he didn't love the roster, and it was at a time when guys didn't want to play. And the U.S. was primed to get beat, and that was the Manu Ginobili Argentina gold medal in you know, Olympics. And so, and ultimately, that's what's kind of spawned the U.S. Sure. sort of getting it going. Shashevsky came in, Colangelo brought him in, but Pop and LeBron were together yeah. uh, there. And like you said, they'll probably, who knows, that could be Pop's farewell. He's going to do this three year deal in San Antonio, and he gets another, you know, one more season and. You know, we'll see where that organization, where that team is. But yeah, LeBron, um, it'll be interesting. Like we're going to listen. It's not going to be long before we go two years left on LeBron's contract. It's got the player option on that last year. Like what's the thing going to look like? Right. I think a lot of it will be to me around where's Anthony Davis going to play next season. Is that a place he, wherever it is, does he want to resign there? Is he going to sign there in 2020? And if not, you know, the Lakers have to make a decision this summer. Do we burn that cap space for somebody who's not an A-list star? Like, they're not getting Durant. And they're not getting Clay Thompson. Probably not getting Kawhi. And then you get to, is Jimmy Butler staying in Philly? What's going to happen there? Could he be a candidate? Do you burn your cap space off for Jimmy, potentially, and then lose it for Anthony? It's going to be a really difficult summer. Lakers will know a lot more if Anthony gets moved before the draft, before July 1, right? And to know... How do we proceed with Davis? Yeah. And, you know, is it a Kemble Walker? Is it a Kyrie Irving? But, you know, they kind of have to spend that money this summer. They can't just go for the one-year guys again and hope to sign Anthony next summer. Because, one, it's LeBron's dwindling prime. And, two, like, you're going to have to re-sign your young guys if you like them. Mm-hmm. And so you won't be able to go over the cap yeah. to re-sign them <laughs> unless you've spot. already used the cap. They're in a tough spot. But there's still playoffs going on. We've got these two Eastern series now. Listen, I could see both series in the East right now going seven games. It wouldn't surprise me. And then, you know, we'll see how it plays out uh, in the West. But, uh, Dave, thanks for jumping in, man. You're on your way to Toronto in the morning. And And if I get you back here for the Eastern Conference Finals in Philly – I got you a soft pretzel at halftime in the media room, but there's a real plug for like really the authentic soft pretzels in the Sixers equipment room that I hit up pregame every game. So right. I'll, I'll make I'll sure I get you, follow you in there. Good, good deal. <laughs> Thanks, David. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to our guest today, ESPN's Dave McMenamin. Remember, you can listen to new and archive episodes of the Woj Pod on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, or wherever else you get your programs. 
And a big thank you to our sponsors this week, Wix.com and ZipRecruiter. Be sure to support them the way they support us here at the Woj Pod. We'll catch you next time.